Moms are epic, aren't they? Uh, they really are, and we want to celebrate that with you ladies today and with all of you families, and we are so grateful for uh, the, the institution of, of motherhood and, and uh, recognizing, too, as we celebrate Mother's Day, it's a special day culturally, we, we still have such a diversity of, of responses to Mother's Day these days in that uh, it brings out so many celebrative emotions, but also some sadness as well and uh, brings about uh, thoughts of moms that have gone, have passed on before us, uh, uh, marriages and children and situations that perhaps haven't gone according to script. And yet uh, we are so grateful for the role that moms play. And we just want to offer a prayer on your behalf. So let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the moms in this place. And we thank you for creating each mom with uh, this special, unique combination of gifts and talents. Uh, we were grateful this morning for so many things, but for the sacrifices they make for children and spouses. And, and we thank you for the gift of time that moms give each one of us. Whether stay-at-home moms or working moms or a combination of the two, Lord, we are so grateful for the energy that they pour into uh, every one of us. And we, we pray that you'll give the moms in this place strength and help them to see in every daily task, uh, whether at home or on the job, uh, a significance, an eternal significance in what they're doing. Uh, strengthen them, Lord. And, and most of all on this day where we uh, celebrate and honor moms, we, we pray that you'll help us love and to cherish the moments we have with them. Uh, may our hearts always, Lord, overflow with gratitude for the gifts that you've given us in these women, for these women that have truly shaped our faith and our lives. Lord, we celebrate today as a nation. We celebrate today as a congregation, uh, the institution of motherhood. And we come to you in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to study a mom this morning, a story of a mom in the Old Testament, and uh, and we're going to talk about and reflect about how moms often stand in the gaps for us, whether they be children or husbands as well or friends. We have these women in our lives often that stand in the gap for us. And this is a stand in the gap story. And so we're going to read this morning from Exodus 2, 1 to 10. And Ann Bandy has volunteered to read for us. And what we do here is we stand, we face the middle of the room for the reading of God's Word because it's uh, authoritative, it's, it's uh, inspired, and hopefully it's central to how we live our lives. So, and when you're ready, this is Exodus 2, 1 to 10. And if you have your Bibles, follow along or follow on the screen. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine son, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her, her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. 
Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thanks. Thanks, Ann. You can have a seat. I wanted to put this website address up for you this morning, just in case. Uh, you can check this out after the service or sometime later in the week. This is a legitimate website um, launched by a woman out of Brooklyn, New York, who's recognized in her exposure to millennial, the millennial generation that oftentimes they are at a distance from their moms or in some cases estranged from their moms. And so she basically has started a service which is a rent-a-mom. I'm sure she'd franchise one for you if you're interested. But I wanted to show you this today because I think while there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor, there, there's a sad reality to how we live life today. And I want to just read to you part of uh, this is a, a part of the promotional material from this woman, Nina Keneally, uh, who's uh, 63 years of age. This is what she says about needamommy.com. She says, young or old, there are times when all of us need a mother. Like when you get sick for the first time living on your own or when you're going through a horrible breakup, or when you're faced with the task of moving and packing up years worth of stuff. But sometimes mom is 500 miles away or prefers a tough love approach, which you just can't deal with. Enter Rent-A-Mom. For around $40 an hour, you can have your very own mother figure help you make a tough decision, provide emotional support, or make you a homemade pumpkin pie when you're spending the holidays alone no judgment included. My friends, for only $40, you too can rent a mom. You may want to send this to someone, um, preferably not your kids. When, when we think of moms, and, and you know, I'd love to be more inclusive and just talk about women in general uh, this morning. Uh, there are these moments in our lives we can probably each reflect upon that our mom or our, our wives or, or a trusted friend have stood in the gap for us and uh, standing up for us, perhaps taking a risk for us, advocating, believing in us. And it's one of the reasons this national holiday holds a lot of weight, even within the secular culture we, we've become. And today's story is the story of a mom who stood in the gap for her child. And I would argue her story is more familiar than her name. Let me put a, an Old Testament name up on the screen for you. Now, obviously, there's a not-so-subtle hint about who this woman is. The name is Jochebed. Remember that? How many of you knew the name before the hint we just... Thank you. Three and a half. Three and a half. Um, Jochebed is Moses' mom's name. And Moses got all the ink. In fact, you could argue that her other two kids, Miriam and Aaron, even received a, a ton more exposure than this woman who in the passage we just read remains nameless. We have to discover her name later in Scripture. 
But I would argue that this woman, Jochebed, is one of the heroes of the Old Testament. Heroines, pardon me. And there's a ton of lessons. If you enjoy Bible studies and picking apart stories, there is so much to this particular story and this woman's adventure with her newborn son. I'd encourage you to read it again. And I've just come up with a few thoughts out of it, but it's, it's a fascinating story. And this woman deserves more press than she's received. She and her husband, here's a trivia pursuit question for you. Do you know who Jacobed's husband was, his, what his name was? We'll wait till someone, no, I won't do that to you. Amran. Say it with me. Amran. I can see you're impressed. I can see you're thrilled. Amran and Jacobed. And what we know is not much. They're both from the tribe of Levi. They both went along with this story. I don't want to ignore Amran's role in this story because he's there just beneath the surface of the story. But it appears that Jochebed, Moses' mom, takes the initiative here. And there's, this morning we want to reflect on, on the kind of a woman who stands in the gap like this woman did for her newborn son. There's two realities and two convictions that I want to lift up out of here concerning uh, being a mom, in fact, being a woman, for that matter. And the first reality is this, and this may be a difficult, uh, the, the most difficult point to really discuss and, and reflect upon, is that a mom understands the challenge of letting go. A mom understands the challenge or the pain of loss. Just beneath this story for me today is a memorial service that just happened 24 hours ago where a mom had to say goodbye to a 24-year-old son. A mom understands the challenge and sometimes the pain of letting go. Here's the backdrop. A new pharaoh had taken power and Joseph, the, the famous Hebrew, was forgotten by the Egyptians. And now the Israelites were perceived as a threat. And so the new Pharaoh began to enforce forced labor and made it more difficult, more and more difficult to them. And eventually became so threatened that decided he would uh, commit an act of genocide against all the little Hebrew baby boys. And in one fell swoop, it's a simple, uh, it's, it's a simple emotionless, genocidal edict. He says this. <clears throat> Look at the statement. <clears throat> In Exodus 1.22, this was his decree, that every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile and let every girl live. Now I want you ladies in particular to imagine being a Hebrew mom in the moment of your childbirth, no tests prior to the birth to see what the sex is, of course, and you're awaiting to see that first glimpse of your newborn, and it's a girl, and you are overjoyed because you know you can keep your baby girl, and now in that moment, it's one of the most amazing moments in our lives, that mom takes that newborn baby in her hands and finds out it's a boy, and knows the future of this baby boy is to be tossed like a piece of debris into the Nile River to a certain death. Grapple with the emotions of that moment. It's the ultimate nightmare for a Hebrew mom and dad 
And we're, we're so grateful we haven't had the extreme situation of having to bury a child or say permanently goodbye to a child. But virtually every mom in this room has had to let go of someone, perhaps a child precious to you at one point or another. Nothing as radical as this story, mind you. But remember when your firstborn walked out the door for their first day of kindergarten? I don't want to conjure up too much emotion here, but you know what I'm talking about. And then there was middle school. And then there was high school. Or there was college. Or their first job where they moved across the street or across the state. It's still traumatic. It's still dramatic. And our natural, natural inclination, whether we be moms or dads, we want to protect, we want to keep them safe. But being a mom, it seems, understands not only the necessity of letting go, but the importance of letting go. And these celebrative moments where we say goodbye to our kids, this is that season, high school graduation, is a celebrative moment to be sure, but a moment in which we have to let go. And of course, our deepest desire for our kids is that they thrive in life, that they follow Jesus. And in some cases, our desire for them to see them thrive conflicts with our knowledge of the necessity of letting go. And so life for a mom all often comes with the pain of loss, of giving up and letting go. And quite frankly, whether we be moms or dads, we're rarely ready to let go. And life for a mom often comes with the responsibility of learning the art of releasing when we have no control, of dealing with extenuating circumstances that often we can do nothing about. And women who are impacting their circle of influence, their family, their workplace, their friends for good, have open hands. Because we learn how to hold on to the people and the things we love with open hands. Because just like Jochebed, we know at some point we've got to release them. I think it's a profound moment in a biblical story about a godly mom who knew she eventually would have to let go. That's the first reality of the story. The second reality is that, and this is, again, Captain Obvious calling, but a mom often exhibits continual and creative resourcefulness, and that's the rest of this story. After the Pharaoh edict, there's a new status quo for a Hebrew mom. Death to your infant son, without exception. But Jacobed refuses to accept the status quo. Instead, she decides she's going to hatch a plan to save him. And she had to ask the question, amongst many questions, how do I hide a newborn baby? You know, I want to salute all the moms with newborns in this room, both services. You know what it's like trying to keep a, a, a child under the age of one quiet in a church service? Are you kidding me? So bless you for the attempt. And if you leave within the next 30 seconds, it was a great attempt. But keep a newborn baby hidden from the secret police of Egypt is another story. Can you imagine trying to hide him, keep him quiet, keep him well-fed? If you've ever worked in the church nursery, understand the noise level in that place. Ladies, this is a tough one to try to imagine, but what would your response have been? 
Later in the day, when you have nothing else to do, think about your response to Pharaoh's edict. How would you have responded? Dads, you can ask the same question. Unless you're going to throw your baby in the Nile for crocodile bait, what are you going to do? What's your solution? So this is what they began with. And Hebrews actually gives us a little, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament gives us a little more insight. It says there in Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith, Moses' parents hid him, meaning Moses, for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So for the first few months they hid him, then that became impossible and our story kicks in. But Jacobet had that chutzpah, that gutsy, bold, edgy faith that trusted in God's providence. And she was not just courageous, she was resourceful. She had a plan. When she could hide him no longer, the kid screamed really loud at three months. You know the progression. So she makes a basket out of papyrus reeds, covers it with a material that made it watertight. She made it really a little miniature Nile boat for her baby. She put the child in the basket among the reeds near the bank of the river, shallow water, hidden away from the currents that would have taken the baby downstream and even less in danger of the crocodiles than had she just put him out on the beach. Maybe even some shade. Great resourcefulness. It's a great model. And I ask the question as I'm, I'm getting ready for this today, how often am I dependent upon the continual creative resourcefulness growing up of my mom and to this day of my wife? Sometimes I'm dependent on their resourcefulness to a fault. Now, I don't want to diss we, we fellas this morning, but I came across a classic story about a 15-year-old boy, teenager, who was hungry at the end of the day and really wanted dinner. And so he goes upstairs and finds his mother in bed and was suddenly really concerned. Mom, he said, are you sick or something? Well, she said, actually, I'm not feeling well at all. To which the boy said, I'm sorry, Mom. And then after a brief pause, he added, don't you worry a bit about dinner. You know, I'm getting pretty big now, and I'd be happy to carry you down to the kitchen. Now, that's a confession, fellas. It's probably crossed our mind from time to time. Um, that's res- resourcefulness for a male figure. Women, it's a little different. But one of the reasons we celebrate Akabed and mothers today is their resourcefulness. The ability to stretch a budget, their variety of counseling skills, their problem solving, their juggling, juggling job and extracurricular activities, transportation coordination. Finding items in a household that no one else can seem to find. And the greatest resourcefulness of a mom, the ability to somehow miraculously create more time in a daily routine. Or to find the strength to tackle the challenges of modern day motherhood. Those are the two realities, two of the realities of the story. There are more, but for the sake of time. Then there's two convictions. Uh, And many moms have demonstrated this through the years, and we want to celebrate that. The first conviction is this, and it's a classic. A mom has faith in their child's potential. This is what it says in Exodus 2, 2. When Achabed, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. 
And Jochebed recognizes immediately he's not an ordinary child. In fact, the Hebrews verse we just read, Hebrews 11:23 says, he was not an ordinary child. They saw something in him. The word fine here is the Hebrew word tov, meaning good, great, beautiful. There's something about this kid. And they, had, they already had a son, Aaron. They already had a daughter. There was something about this little baby that they recognized the potential, perhaps, for greatness. And it's not only of, true of moms, of course, but if there's a quality that's endearing to moms, many of our moms, it's their capacity to believe in their kid's potential. And many of us have strived to reach that potential because of the encouragement of our moms. My mom is 91 years old today. She still drives. Pray for the community of Lyndon, Washington, specifically. She still lives on her own. She still cooks. She's still my mom, meaning she's still in my business. And I love her. But early on in life, my mom was convinced I was going to be an excellent musician. Now, don't laugh at this, please. Still a sensitive point. My mom was a music major. My dad was a music major. Um, I was listening to a variety of music as a little boy. In first and second grade, I was listening to Rossini, Tchaikovsky. They bought me classical records. A record is a round black thing you put on something that spins around. And I would sit and listen, little Brian, listening to the classics, among other things, of course. In second grade, I started piano lessons. For eight years, I took piano. And my mom, being the devoted music teacher that she was, ensured I practiced an hour to an hour and a half every day of the week but Sunday. I am so grateful for Sabbath. <laughs> I learned how to play a trumpet in fourth grade. I was around musicians. My dad went and sang solos in other churches and led uh, singing uh, hymn sings, which dates him a little bit, let alone me. Music dominated my upbringing because, in part, my mom believed I had musical potential. She really did. And then one fateful day, my dad handed me a basketball in about fourth grade. And my priorities began to change. I'm not going to get into the blow-by-blow, year-by-year description of that. But I fell in love with that little orange ball. Fast forward, and I had an opportunity to go to a college on a music scholarship out of high school. And, and don't, don't ask me to play anything or sing anything anymore. It was a day gone by. My mom was thrilled, music scholarship. And then I, one day I told her, you know, Mom, I, I, uh, I don't think I'm going to do that because I really want to go over here to this college and play basketball. And my mom... Uh, I won't say she was brokenhearted. She didn't disown me. She was disappointed because that was the legacy of music appreciation in my family. But just before I left to go to college, uh, my mom sat me down and told me what I should and shouldn't do at college. That's another set of stories for later. But she said, you know, if you're going to play basketball, I think you could be a great basketball player. Now, I'm not going to say that's the pivotal moment of my basketball career, but I always knew my mom wanted the best for me. And whether it went from music to sports or sports to music, she believed in me. I think at age 91, she still believes I have potential. 
I keep trying to lower expectations from time to time. But mom, encourage your kids. I'm assuming most of you do that. Tell them you see their potential. And in particular, in this room, in this place, in this, with this topic. Don't ever overlook the power of your words in encouraging your kids' spiritual potential. What could Jesus do through your child? Do do you have those conversations? Oh, I want my kids to excel at every sport imaginable. I want my kids to excel at extracurriculars. I'll drive them. I'll push them. I'll do anything in my power to see them improve and reach their potential. But what about their faith? What if moms are... Kids' spiritual potential mattered as much as their sports potential, their academic potential, their extracurricular potential. Hey, some of us have missed the boat on this one, and we've said goodbye to our kids, but you've got grandkids coming around. It's a redo. It's a mulligan. And what if we were the ones, and dads, I'll throw you into this equation too. What if we took as seriously encouraging our kids' spiritual potential? What could you do for the kingdom? Imagine what might happen. Because I don't know about you, but to a degree, to a great degree, I'm a product, product of my folks, their priorities, their emphases, and what they nudged me to do. A mom has faith in her child's potential. There was something about Moses that Jochebed understood from the moment he was born. The second conviction is that a mom has faith in the providential plan of God. Now let me just sidetrack into the theological for just a moment. Let me show you a definition of providence. It's a a quick and easy definition. I don't want to oversimplify it, but providence defined is this. Look on the screen. God's constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. Here's the deal. Um, while we as American Christians talk about personal faith in Jesus, there's a whole other dimension to God's sovereign hand, to his providential hand. And God is totally involved in governing and caring for his creation. And he's totally involved in looking over your life, looking over the shoulders of your life and shaping your life and directing your life as well. He cares about everything that happens to his people and directs all the events of our lives to bring about his purposes, both in good and bad. And the understanding of divine providence implies that God actively brings about all that he determines. He's that big. We're that small. It comforts us because we know that God cares for his people and guides us while we journey through the drama and trauma of life. And long before the theology of providence or these scripture passages describing providence were written, Jacobed somehow intuitively understood that there was a plan bigger than herself, bigger than her son alone, and God was going to orchestrate it and weave it together. And so... Jacobed lived out a trust in God's providence. Again, imagine the emotions, the feelings that Jacobed had as she placed that tiny basket with her newborn son into the water and then backed away. Now, granted, Miriam, the older sister, is watching from a distance, but Jacobed had to walk away. But she didn't just let him go because she was a woman of faith. She let him go, and she trusted that God had a plan. 
And the Jacobed story teaches us there are times in our lives where we've done all we can do. We've said all we can say. There is no more. And we simply have to trust. Hands open. I don't know if that kid is going to turn his life around. I don't know if it's going to work out for my marriage. But I'm going to trust that God is still in control. And look at the providence of God in this story. Jochebed just happened to put Moses in the right spot of the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter just happened to see the basket. Moses just happened to cry at the right time. Miriam just happened to be nearby and stood up. Pharaoh's daughter just happened to have enough influence to save the baby Moses and on and on. This is a providential moment that reshaped the entire nation of Israel. This moment. The saving of this child. And here's the moment that the resourcefulness of a mom intersects with her faith. And you see God at work big time. So this is what happens. Exodus 2, 5, and 6. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, and the rest is history. The irony of the story is that Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the Nile because the Nile was considered the realm of the pagan god Osiris. And they believed the water of the Nile had magical properties. She came for a religious encounter with a pagan deity and discovered the baby who would deliver a nation on behalf of the God of the universe. Now, how's that for providence? I just think it's so cool. See, trusting in God's providence is trusting that even when God is silent, he's still at work. And parents, you understand sometimes you don't see resolution to the issues with your kids, with your grandkids. And yet trusting that God is still at work is absolutely crucial. Some might say this story is about fate or luck or it just happened that way, but it really is God's providential care just beneath the surface. And one way faith comes alive for us is when we step into the future with the trust that God is in control and we can trust in his plan. My mom believed that. To the depth of her being, she believed in the providence of God. So for the moment, Jacobed gets her child back, at least for a while. And you got a picture of this mom with this little one I don't, we don't know how long she kept the baby before turning her over to Pharaoh's daughter. Maybe at three years of age, she surrendered him to the household of Pharaoh. But how, how important years? You're talking about, about pivotal years. And this is purely conjecture, my guess. Perhaps she passed along the story of the patriarchs, as they did in those days. You pass stories along orally, the oral tradition. Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the great covenantal promises her parents and grandparents had taught her. Perhaps he learned to, to learn what, what rudimentary faith looked like. This God, this God, even though we haven't really become intimate with him lately, even though we haven't seen his action lately, he still exists, and he points, she points him in that direction. Perhaps he learned, even as a preschooler, the rudimentary matters of faith. And then when Jacobed had to let him go again, she had to trust again in God's providential hand. 
moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, and all people in between here this morning. Belief in God's providence shape, shapes how we approach that next decision, that opening door, the closing door, the opportunities. And if we could only infuse that, instill that understanding in our kids, imagine how they'd make plans for the future. Let's teach our kids, our grandkids, not just about Jesus. It's a great place to start. But teaching that God has a plan. He's got a plan for them beginning this very moment and lasting through the rest of their lives. And what we want to do today is simply celebrate and affirm the realities and convictions of motherhood. Moms, your willingness to let go and trust in God's providence. We thank you ladies, that your resourcefulness and how you pour that into your family is in part because you want to see your kids and your husband and your extended family reach their God-given potential. And moms, we praise God and thank you for those times that just like Jochebed, the mother of Moses, you've stood in the gap for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, relatively anonymous woman who is just trying to raise her three kids the way every woman in this room tries to raise theirs, in a way that honors you, prepares them for the future, and yet with an understanding at some time, we've got to let go. And so, Lord, as we walk out of this place into the reality, in some cases harsh realities of relationships within families, I pray that you'll give us, uh, just give us a new understanding of the convictions of this woman named Jochebed, whose faith in you, whose trust in you, whose resourcefulness and uh, understanding of providence contributed to the reshaping of the entire people of Israel. Lord, we thank you and praise you for relationships, for moms, and we are so grateful for their impact and they're standing in the gap for us. Amen.